you know one of the other questions i just wanted to ask you is it is generally believed that it is uh, easier for banks to acquire customers you know because of the network uh, how much of uh, i mean how much of truth is there in this statement is it easier for you or actually is there a little bit more pressure on you because you have customers and you have to you know have a sort of uh, framework to live up to no it's it's an interesting uh, uh, notion but i'd like to challenge that notion because mm. just because we are a bank and a large bank it doesn't mean clients will necessarily relate to us as wealth managers we need to earn that you know that position we need to work hard to build a parallel or a symbiotic relationship in the minds of our clients as both their banker and their wealth manager Uh, welcome to today's uh, episode of uh, MK Alpha Events, presented by MK Investment Managers and uh, PMSIF World. I'm Sankal from PMSIF World, and I take care of business development here. We hope all of you are keeping safe. And today's topic is uh, something very close to our hearts, and I think people, uh, you know, have encountered this conundrum at some point in time. So we're going to discuss how uh, you know large banks are driving uh, the wealth management. Uh, business or the wealth management uh, game in the digital age. Uh, so we're not going to restrict ourselves to just uh, you know these uh, few words. It's going to be a little bit more uh, broader in the discussion. And with uh, that in mind, I'll introduce my guests. So uh, you know, on the bottom right corner is Mr. Apurva Sahijwani. So he heads uh, private banking at uh, you know Access Bank. Here he's the executive vice president. There uh, he's got uh, you know a couple of decades of experience. He's worked with Marquis. uh banks uh, like citibank uh, hsbc and uh, kotak wealth management and has been uh, heading the private banking business at access bank so i think he'll be the perfect person to take on uh, you know questions or discussions uh, you know directing wealth management in a bank and uh, the way forward uh, along with uh, you know uh, purva our, our dear friends uh, vikas and sachin vikas as you all know uh you know as a veteran in the asset management uh, business he he has almost also two decades of experience he's been a part of various committees from sebi amfi and he's also uh you know headed marquee names like enam uh and uh, enam uh, edelweiss asset management uh, and right now in his latest stint he is the ceo at mk investment advisors accompanying him is sachin the fund manager at mk investment advisors uh he is uh you know he's been a fund manager and a portfolio manager for very long and has seen a lot of cycles and that has helped him develop his proprietary equal uh, system of identifying good corporate governance and quality management and uh, the last introduction for today is of finlearn academy who are sponsoring our best question prize so apurva we have uh, this with every episode the best question gets an award from finlearn which is essentially a training platform for uh, you know stock markets and everything equities so it's an interesting uh, you know prize up for grabs so keep sending us your questions and before i you know uh, give the floor to vikas let me just put this across so i asked this question on the poll uh, i have investment relations with my bank and an astounding 65% do so uh, you know today uh, you as a as a representative of that community are here uh, you know and the audience will ask you some questions and you have a job to you know uh, do and i think vikas and sachin will ask excellent questions so what do you vikas 
Thank you, Sankal. I think one of the participant stakeholders you forgot to introduce was uh, PMS AIF World. So let me have the privilege of doing that. I think it's, oh, a, it's a premier platform. Uh, I think I quite enjoy the content which is put up by PMS AIF World. And you know, one of the things I keep telling my team is, over the, each weekend you should at least listen to one episode. There are fabulous episodes by fund managers, by people from various walks of life. So my compliments to you and your team. Uh, so let's okay. start off, you know, uh, I'd like to up- introduce Apurva uh, at a personal level. You know, I normally do this. I talk about the guest to a lot of people. And what struck me when I started talking about Apurva is that there's so much of respect for him. You know, uh, people have such nice things to say about him. And I've just jotted down a few. Uh, Apurva, some of these might surprise you. Uh, but trust me, this is more of people telling me rather than me getting to the to be a Sherlock Holmes, if you will. So I think what I've heard about you is you're full of life. You're always curious about things. And that's an amazing ability, which I can also vouch for. You're a stickler for time management. You're always two to three minutes early for all commitments. And you hate things when timings overrun. Uh, one of the one of your favorites is your green tea or your kava. You love your green tea. I think uh, your colleagues uh, say this with, you know, both awe and a trepidation that you have the memory of an elephant. You remember numbers to their decimal points. And I can tell you most colleagues don't really like that when you recite numbers by the decimal points. <laughs> uh, well, you're a true foodie at heart. Apparently, that should be fairly obvious. <laughs> you know any and every good food joint south of Mumbai. You know, if somebody needs a recommendation, they don't need to go to Google. They can just talk to you and you can just tell them exactly where to go. And uh, the amazing part is, as much as you are a good true foodie, you also manage to watch your weight by watching the proportions you eat. And people admire that about you. Mm-hmm. Normally, you're very composed. But uh, I've been told that if you want to see, you know, Anupam ride, you should do something to his car or talk something negative about his car. He loves his car. <laughs> Not just his car, but he loves cars in general, Japanese and German in particular. Not just that, he loves movies about cars. He's seen the entire Fast and Furious series. Uh, he's a Marvel super, Universe super buff. He doesn't miss a single movie or TV series, primarily with his daughter. Uh, you know, uh, just converse to his love for watching fictional movies. He loves non-fictional books, mostly investment related. Talking about books, I think he's got precocious talent in-house, his daughter Aditi has just co-written a book, which I believe has just been released on Amazon. Am I right, Abhurva? Would you like to talk yes. about that? This is actually the second book she and her friends have co-authored during the pandemic. Oh. And oh. Uh, it's just been uh, launched on Amazon. And uh, it's actually a compilation of short stories, but quite quite nicely written, even if I say so myself. Wonderful. Uh, let me tell you, I've downloaded the book and I'm going to read that. I love uh, reading stuff like that. Uh, children are so talented nowadays. So let's let's start off with the session, Apurva. And uh, you know, I just like to uh, hark back memory lane. You've you've pretty much seen the wealth management business evolve, you know, from its more what is now seen as the traditional era, uh, which was more human touch dominated, to the current digital era. Uh, I'd like to start this session by sharing your insights on this evolution. First of all, uh, let me thank you, uh, Vikas. Uh... Sankalpo, uh, Sachin, it's, it's a pleasure to be with you today. I've been a huge admirer of the MK Alpha Mavens uh, series. And, uh, you know, I've probably watched all the episodes that uh, that have come out so far. I think it's it's an amazing uh, effort that you do every month. And it's great to be on the other side of the screen today <laughs> and converse you. with you. 
uh, it's something which i have, which i'm looking forward to um so thank you once again for the opportunity coming back to the question uh, because you know i started working in the 1990s and uh, i think the evolution that we've seen over the last now 23 years or so that i've been working has been actually quite remarkable you know it's interesting but i i'm i'm quite amused when i say this because back in the 1990s when you had to go and risk profile your clients there was only one thumb rule 100 minus the client's age would go into equity oh yes yeah you'll remember yes. that right yes yes now, yes when i look back i am so amused because you know this clearly means that two people irrespective of their financial position irrespective of their risk preferences irrespective of their liquidity requirements you would give them the same asset allocation you would give them the same investment portfolio right i mean which clearly means that the only determinant of the client's risk profile and the asset allocation was the client's age today uh, let's fast forward to today today um, you know you look at investment profilers which do everything from simulate a possible risk return profile of portfolios and ask the client to choose the portfolio that uh, you know he or she identifies with the best to doing some psychometric uh, tests and trying to figure out whether the client is risk tolerant or otherwise um, you know i think the way we look at profiling our clients is, has evolved in such a remarkable manner let's talk about the way we used to do transactions right i mean i remember back then you know if you had to transact for a client the only way to do this was on, on an application form right you would yes. take the application form you would attach key, copies of the kyc documents and god help you if the client was a body corporate right yeah yeah then you would have your memorandum oh, yeah. articles board resolution list of authorized signatories and the whole gamut you know so getting transactions done used to be i mean nothing short of a nightmare today getting transactions processed is as simple as the click of a button right for a bank like us we have an internet banking platform a mobile banking platform we can act we can do transactions on email authorization from clients i think the seamlessness that we have seen in terms of transaction processing has changed remarkably let's look at one more element which is in terms of uh, portfolio analytics right back then the amount of time that you would spend in terms of looking at a portfolio and to be fair even the portfolio by itself the only metric that you would look at was return so as long as the portfolio was in positive territory well your job well done then you know you kind of evolved to starting you know uh, looking at uh, benchmarks you would start benchmarking your client's portfolio to let's say uh, either uh, an index or a synthetic index today uh, the way you have the ability to to analyze portfolios not just on the return metrics but also on risk i think is remarkable so i think we've really come a long way um the evolution over the last two decades or so has been quite remarkable but i think what's going to be most exciting is what the future holds and i think that's something to really look out for interesting uh, you know you actually took me back memory lane as well and we thought we had it tough and we look at it from your perspective i think as as uh, wealth managers you probably had it tougher than us a multitude of products and all of that in fact you mentioned something about the future and that brings me to my next question you know in india today where uh, specialized digital firms and what are now traditional firms both are gaining market share i mean the market is so big that both are gaining market share uh, where do wealth management platforms of large banks like axis fit into this entire paradigm you know i mean yeah please sir uh vikas apurva before you uh, begin that answer let me just give you this very interesting poll that i ran, ran okay sure. so i ran uh, my relationship with my bank is uh, because of <clears throat> amongst all the options okay uh, 44% of the respondents today say because of convenience okay and uh, then the next uh, majority feels that because of technology 
so these are probably on if we uh, you know count today's audience to be representative of the average investor or average uh, consumer so this is where the uh, demographic is distributed along so you know before you venture into that answer of digital wealth management i thought you know i'll give you this perspective or to you sir no actually that's 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 a very remarkable insight and uh, i would have thought that uh, you know um, the number would have been more like uh, 50% and there you are but it's interesting uh, i think vikas probably has got locked off but let because me let me start yeah. yeah let me let me just kind of attempt to answer the question that uh, vikas mentioned um see i like i said i started working in the 1990s right and if you go back to the 1990s wealth management was largely the domain of brokerage houses right uh, at that point in time it was largely in terms of your capabilities on transactional uh, side or in terms of your research so you actually saw wealth management being very synonymous with with brokerage houses then came the first decade of the new millennium right where we saw foreign banks doing remarkably well and i think that was fairly obvious considering the fact that they were able to leverage technology back then they were able to bring in best practices from their overseas businesses i worked with foreign banks for almost 14 years in my career and i saw the kind of i mean I, there was a time when they were really really ahead of their time um then you saw the last decade where you saw the rise of nbfcs and and boutique wealth management houses you know because of their nimbleness their flexibility uh, you know i thought they they kind of pretty much captured a fair bit of market share i firmly believe this decade will see and is perhaps already witnessing the rise of private sector banks as a dominant player in the wealth management business interesting and the reasons are fairly obvious i think first things first wealth is no longer a tier 1 or a tier 2 city phenomenon today um, you know you see affluence in all parts of the country remember vikas we used to use terms like b30 and b50 yes i can't remember the last time somebody talked about you know b30 b50 markets because now you're seeing a proliferation of wealth across the country i mean i can tell you over the last 15 months or so since we've been largely working from home or being you know or we have been using a hybrid model the, the amount of interactions i've had with clients in you know the so called up country locations has been remarkable and these have been extremely savvy investors right so i think wealth is kind of now proliferating across the country and this is where you know, if you have a presence uh, in that particular market it makes a huge difference i mean i i have reason to believe that the top four private sector banks in the country have a combined number of 17000 branches between them right and a large number of these are in uh, what the rbi categorizes as semi urban locations right so we're witnessing the rise of informed investors in in markets like these the second point is what we just alluded to which is in terms of banks using technology to maximum effect today um, you know from risk profiling our clients to providing them with investment solutions to doing seamless transactions through internet mobile email all of that you know is helping us really being build scale uh, you know in the wealth management business and the third and most important part and this i think clearly was symbolic of uh, the poll that so uh, you know that uh, that we just ran uh, which uh, essentially talks about the convenience of having a one stop solution provider in the form of a bank and i think this to my mind is clearly paving the way for this decade uh, to be dominated by private sector banks i firmly see this uh, you know this trend emerging in 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 this decade and i think the opportunity on financial financialization of savings is also coinciding with this so i i do believe that there is a huge huge runway ahead for private sector banks and especially banks like us uh, to leverage the opportunity in wealth management interesting i think uh, sachin in his part analyzes banks for a living and i'm sure he has a few questions for you sachin yeah thanks vikas and uh, apurva thank you so much for coming on the show uh you know just taking the 
taking the discussion forward and i i really appreciate the point that you made that why banks have the right to uh, you know win this business in the next few years uh, you know i mean i'm just trying to be a bit of a devil's advocate here uh, in the sense that you know markets are very dynamic the environment is very dynamic uh, there are always something new coming up in a very very uh, you know the tenure of the longer duration of products is actually getting the life of the products are getting shortened right now from that perspective uh, you know one also needs to be agile as an investor but as an investor i am guided by the my advisor now when it comes to large banks like yours uh, there will be some bit of you know uh, bureaucratic uh, which will slow down the whole pace of being agile with the investors in terms of recommendations or even creating new products uh compared to sort of new age digital or wealth you know focused wealth management firms where there could be much more uh, you know fast in terms of turnaround or in terms of recommendation of new products uh how does a large bank like that compete in the markets or not only compete but actually be more uh you know it, it makes much more purposeful from an investor's perspective Well, that's a great question, uh, Sachin. And if you were to look at it objectively, see there is a large segment of what I would like to call as the do-it-yourself kind of investors, right? For whom the nimbleness, the flexibility of a digital platform uh, or a focused wealth management platform will make a world of difference, right? But that's one side of the spectrum. The other side of the spectrum is where you have uh, you know investors who are heavily dependent upon their wealth managers to guide them through what is happening, you know. in financial markets you know do proper financial planning for them build resilient portfolios for them and i think there's a huge uh, uh, population which lies somewhere in between these two extremes right so i think you know across the continuum if you were to look at it it is becoming imperative for wealth managers to use digital interventions right so today as a bank it is you know i think it's it's fairly obvious that we also leverage digital interventions extensively you know i'll give an example till a few years ago wealth managers used to spend a disproportionate amount of time to prepare client portfolio reviews right i remember doing this extensively right where you would assimilate data you would compile performance reports you would track key ratios then you would get down to the recommendations part of of it right today the first three steps have been automated right this is giving you so much time focus on the recommendation part and the quality of your client engagement has actually become richer at access bank we've invested very heavily in technology this is allowing us to look at portfolio performance this is allowing us to look at the key analytics in, in our client portfolios and this leaves us adequate time for client engagement you know taking rebalancing calls and so on and so forth so i think you know honestly there will be a hybrid model and which to my mind is clearly what we are witnessing the emergence of where your client engagement is in person right um, that may not necessarily be completely digital and it could be virtual like the way we are conversing right now but your reporting your analytics and all are digitized so i think today as a, as a bank we see us using this hybrid model very extensively i hope that answers your question yes and now i have related to that and i'm very curious because it it actually directly impacts me but i'm sure it's also important for all the investors so you know you you mentioned something very interesting that because of technology uh you have more time to focus on what should what you would like to recommend right in terms of the recommendations or the portfolio strategy for the investor uh so you know when you recommend obviously you will recommend a few uh 
uh, investment products. Now, typically, whenever you are recommending an investment product, you would have already done some analysis on that product and then you would have onboarded those products. So what I would like to know though is that what is that method in that madness? On what basis do you approve that product? What will it take for NK investment managers to be on Axis Bank's plate? <laughs> so you're asking for our secret sauce then. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, your investors would also like to know what hard work you put in there, right? No, sure. Uh, see, uh, at Axis Bank, we follow an open architecture model. And uh, while it is an open architecture model, I think what is important for us is to formulate our house use right, across asset classes. Now, we've created a very strong investment committee and we meet every month. We take the insights, our insights from that investment committee's uh, recommendations, helping us form a house view across asset classes. Then we scope the market to identify those investment products which are in sync with these views. Of course, that's the first phase of the process. Once we identify these products, we then start engaging with the investment managers to understand their investment philosophy, their, their rationale, their approach, uh, we then get into a detailed due diligence. We look at the track record. We look at risk-adjusted returns. We look at uh, peer set comparison. And also, importantly, very importantly, understand the qualitative aspects behind the making of their performance. And once that entire process is completed, and you know, let's assume that the outcome is favorable, we then onboard the product. And we get our teams, our frontline teams, to interact with the investment manager, you know, essentially kind of train them on the nuances of the product so that they can then have meaningful engagement with their clients. But you know, it doesn't stop there. The process doesn't stop here. In fact, we continue to engage with the investment manager. We track the performance. We look at, you know, continuing to see how they have done vis-a-vis -vis benchmark, vis-a-vis -vis industry peers. And, you know, I think this is done largely to see whether the hypothesis holds true or not. This actually, you know, this, this very meticulous, this very, you know, nuanced process has helped us avoid a lot of accidents along the way. And mm -hmm. this is something which we'll continue to practice. So I hope, uh, you know, my secret sauce is now available for you. As I think. Sure. Thank you. Thank you, Aparwa. Really helpful. Thank you. You see, the, the thing about secret sauce is, you know, uh, it's like Fred Warren Buffett has always said that uh, this is the way I invest. Please go and copy me, but people can't. I think the secret sauce is not sharing this, but in executing this, which I'm sure it's quite regress at your end, which is what explains the, uh, you know, the success of, of products recommended at your end. No, and here but, I'd like to compliment our extensive research team, uh, because, no. because I think they've done, they do this day in and day out. And, uh, you know, I think it's not an easy job, but they continue to do it remarkably well. I agree with you. It's not an easy job at all. In fact, I just want to ask you a very basic question now, because this has been coming to me from, uh, you know, we, I asked on Twitter, please direct message me any question which you have. So one question which came to me, and uh, I was stumped by the simplicity of it. Sure. And I, I wanted to give a very... Uh, Different answer, but I'm asking you, what, according to you, is the difference between wealth management and private banking? Oh, this is this is a personal favorite, this question. Oh, is it? Okay. You know, I, I get asked this question many times by clients mostly. Um, okay. And I always have a standard answer. This is my interpretation. Uh, so, you know, you may not see this in, in a textbook. But I firmly believe that wealth management looks at only the asset side of a client's balance sheet. While private banking looks at the balance sheet in entirety. Interesting. Let me, let me let me elaborate. Uh, you know, by this logic, wealth management is essentially a subset of private banking. Now, okay. you, know, you may have instances yes. where, where your clients today have money to invest, right? Mm -hmm. And you come in as a wealth manager. But there is a possibility that tomorrow they may be in need of money. Mm -hmm. The question is, how well can you do that job? And that's where at Access Bank, we believe our position as a bank 
allows us to look at our client's balance sheet and take a holistic view of what their financial needs are. See, this is where we can leverage our sharp understanding of wealth management and banking. And we can provide solutions which are you know, relevant for both sides of the, of the client's balance sheet. So we that's go beyond the conventional wealth management solutions and that's how we deal with our private banking clients. I hope that answers. No, that's that's wonderful. I think that gives me a lot of clarity. Uh, you know, one of the other questions I just wanted to ask you is, it is generally believed that it is uh, easier for banks to acquire customers, you know, because of the network. Uh, how much of, uh, I mean, how much of truth is there in this statement? Is it easier for you or actually is there a little bit more pressure on you because you have customers and you have to, you know, have a sort of uh, framework to live up to? No, it's it's an interesting uh, uh, notion, but I'd like to challenge that notion. Uh, because mm. see, just because we are a bank and a large bank, it doesn't mean clients will necessarily relate to us as wealth managers. We need to earn that, you know, that position. We need to work hard to build a parallel or a symbiotic relationship in the minds of our clients as both their banker and their wealth manager. Mm. See, this is where our ability to blend our research, you know, generate those houses which, are, which I was referring to, our ability to leverage our technology, our ability to identify trends in the economy, you know, and, and certain, let's say, um, proactive decisions that we can take. All of this, essentially, there has to be a proof of concept. And only then will clients start interesting us with the responsibility of also managing their wealth. So it's not easy, but it is an achievable, achievable task, you know, to acquire customers for us. Um, you know, for us, and the logical thought is quite clearly, and this is what our leadership has been asking us to do, is to try and be the both the primary banker and the primary wealth manager for our time. Now, this, if you ask me, kind of really puts in, in perspective the fact that, you know, you may have a bank customer but the bank customer will not necessarily be a wealth management customer. So oh, you know, I, I'd like to challenge that notion that it's it's very easy for us. Uh, it is a tough job, but I think we do it quite well. I, I would tend to agree because as an individual, for example, I have uh, I bank with two private sector banks and both their wealth management firms uh, you know, are in touch with me. Uh, it is actually uh, difficult for them uh, to justify their products to me rather than it's difficult for me. So I think the onus is quite a lot on the private sector banks to, to justify that. I completely agree with you. Uh, which actually brings me to the next question. You know, the point of interface with the client is usually the relationship manager. Uh, and again, uh, there is this general belief that uh, a lot of RMs keep shuffling in the banking network. It may not necessarily be in the private banking space, but it is probably the uh, personal banking space or the consumer banking space. Uh, from your perspective, how do you think banks can check this and add to customer experience? Uh, you know, what is the life cycle of... Uh, Sorry, what did you hear the question? You want me to repeat? Uh, because there was a bit of an outage. So if you if you wouldn't mind repeating that, please. Sure, sure, sure. So I was saying that uh, the moment of truth uh, for a banker uh, for a bank is when the the relationship manager. I think he's having a problem with his. Uh, just wait for him to join back again. I think these are the perils of work from home, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I was saying is I'm seeing a lot of interesting questions come in from, uh, come in for Apurva. Yeah, so yeah. We'll because I'm back. Uh, sorry about this, but I think uh, there was a bit of an outage at mine. 
No, no problem, no problem. And outage is always preferable. The last time I was doing a session, there were crows in the background, you know, when I was talking, which got very embarrassing. So I think an outage is still preferable. Uh, Sorry, so the last question you were asking was? Yeah, I'll, I'll repeat my question again. Uh, I think uh, what I was saying is that the moment of truth for any bank is when you interact with the customer through an RM. And by virtue of the fact that RMs keep shuffling and reshuffling, uh, how does a bank like yours check this and, you know, make sure that the customer experience is consistent? That was a question. Sure. No, look, I'll I'll uh, I'll admit that I think uh, you know the banking industry has seen a lot of RM attrition, but I think that the key here is to look at how you can give a clear career path to somebody who wants to do wealth management as a long-term career option. Right. I'll give an example. Um, we have now more than a hundred private bankers, uh, you know, in uh, Burgundy Private, uh, the business that I lead, um, and I'm happy to share with you that more than forty percent of them are homegrown talent. Right. Oh. These are people who have joined us, uh, some of them dating back to as, as long as 15 years. Interesting. And you know, the, the best part is that if you look at the way they have evolved, uh, they started off uh, typically managing, in fact, in some cases, even managing uh, client servicing requirements, in some cases as what we call as our priority relationship managers. Over a period of, of time, they kind of gravitated to becoming burgundy relationship managers and eventually moved into the private bank. And I think this is quite clearly now becoming a clear career choice for people who are very serious about wealth. So if you look at the the journey, you know, it also in a way kind of coincides with your client's uh, life cycle, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Because mm -hmm. at some stage, you know, you acquire a client at the early stage and mm -hmm. the client typically, uh, a lot of our clients, uh, with the exception of maybe second or third generation entrepreneurs, would typically have been uh, business people, professionals, executives, you know, they would have also started off early in their careers. They would have earned wealth the hard way. They would have kind of uh, grown to an extent where they become high or ultra high net worth clients and their needs would have evolved. Now, imagine a symbiotic relationship where your wealth manager is also growing, you know, upscaling herself, you know, building new skills and over a period of time is in a position to meet those requirements that you already have. Hmm. So for us, I think as, you know, as a, a journey, uh, this makes a lot of sense. So we are kind of clearly working towards a model where the wealth manager continues to manage that relationship over a period of time, right? Even though the client's requirements may kind of evolve, may become a little more nuanced. And uh, I think this in a way uh, also helps the wealth manager progress through the organization's ranks, progress across the different segments that we have, mm -hmm. uh, get the private banking business, which pretty much is the epitome of uh, the entire pyramid. And there you continue to manage clients. In fact, I have a very interesting take on this. I keep telling my uh, private bankers that your true test is over a period of time, how do you reduce the number of clients and increase your assets under management, right? Um, Interesting. Yeah, that to my mind is actually clearly symbolic of the journey for a mm. private bank. So that's that's our way of looking at it. And uh, to my mind, uh, if you continue to invest in, in you know, your team, uh, you know, you give them the right kind of interventions, you uh, train them, you you know, help them kind of acquire and engage with, with large quality clients, uh, there is no reason why you will face the attrition issues which some of our competition continues to face. Interesting. That's very interesting. Sachin? Yeah, so Apurva, this is uh, very interesting because, you know, you, you mentioned about the evolving in terms of the, the client side, how they keep on growing bigger and that helps the, the relationship manager also to you know, it makes a lot of sense to stick with them. Uh, but taking a different perspective now to that, 
you know, we have also seen that in terms of wealth management, things have been evolving. Like, as you said, you know, if you go back to the 90s, it was only probably equities. Then it was probably to some extent debt funds and balanced funds. Uh, there was an era where people also looked at, you know, then it was a uh, real estate, then art, right? Now we are in a digital age. Now we're talking about cryptocurrency. So where, where are we headed in terms of the evolvement of the wealth management in terms of the asset classes? No, actually, that's a question which we keep asking ourselves you know, in terms of how is the business evolving? How are we, we moving forward? See, I, I, I think um, there will be significant opportunities for wealth managers. In fact, um, you know, newer asset classes are coming in. And the good part is that a lot of our clients are also now cultivating that level of interest, you know, that level of knowledge. So today, when we go to our clients with ideas like uh, venture debt or private equity, you know, they're absolutely open to these kind of newer, relatively newer asset classes, right? Or in some cases, you know, there are sub-asset classes which have got created. And, you know, clients are absolutely fine with that. But I think that the true evolution is happening, you know, in the new economy space. Uh, whether it is, you know, newer sets of uh, companies, you know, which are coming in, whether it is, you know, new technologies which are coming out. Um, you know, of course, there are newer asset classes also, like like you said, you know, crypto, NFTs, all of these are coming in. But I think uh, to a large extent, the younger generation of our clients are now keeping a close watch on, on you know, newer asset classes like these. To us, I think uh, we want to be, you know, true to label. We are a bank. Uh, you know, we are bred on an ethos of uh, conservatism. So we want to kind of be very cautious about how we want to look at some of these newer asset classes. Um, having said which, never said never. At some stage, we will venture into, you know, into uh, this space. But I think we will probably want to wait to see how they, you know, how the depth into these uh, asset classes increases, how the regulation in these asset classes increases. And over a period of time, then start blending ideas like these, you know, into our client portfolios. Okay. But, you know, uh, when when we look at the the... The global scenario where a lot of these wealth funds, uh, you know, are there. I mean, there are, all the global banks have their wealth management or the you know private banking space. Uh, how do you think has has the Indian advisory space evolved in comparison to the global standards? I think we've evolved particularly well over the course of the last few years. If you ask me, I think the curve has become much sharper in the last few years. Yeah, of course, I think regulatorily. Uh, you know, uh, we've kind of moved in the right direction. Uh, so today, uh, you know, investor protection is becoming a very, very important point. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's absolutely necessary for a large economy like ours. Investor awareness has gone up very sharply. And I think that's a big positive because to me, it clearly goes to show that uh, now, you know, uh, your client is equally participating, you know, in terms of the investment decision, in terms of the entire financial plan. The other good part is the fact that in a way, it kind of puts the onus on the wealth manager to keep herself updated, right? To keep investing in yourself, to keep making sure that, uh, you know, over a period of time, you increase your knowledge, your your skill sets, your capabilities, and are able to service the, the requirements of your clients. Um, I think when you benchmark it to global practices, we, are, we may not be uh, completely there, but I think we, we are clearly getting there. Uh, so like I said, I think regulation, processes, technology, of course, is very much there. That is one good part. Uh, I don't see a... A, a huge gap that exists between the way uh, wealth management services are offered globally and the way uh, you know they are offered here. Over a period of time, I've had the good opportunity to engage with uh, some of these, let's say, some out of some of our counterparts in different markets. And honestly, when you speak with them deep down, you realize that there really isn't too much of a difference between the way they look at clients and manage their wealth, and, and we do the same thing. Guru, let me let me reverse this question. 
Okay. Uh, do you think the investors or your clients have also evolved and matured like the global investors? Like, you know, where I'm coming from is that today, uh, you know, a lot of us would meet investors or our clients. They probably only look at what are the best returns. Nobody thinks about the risk adjusted returns and those kind of things. Whereas if you think about it from a global, whenever I meet a large, you know, NRI client or even a global investor, Sure. They all are very, very mature enough in terms of understanding what is the return expectations, what is the return output in, in the context of the risk. And they, you know, sometimes I feel that uh, they are very clear that, you know, I want to earn so much extra over the risk free or why am I not earning so much extra over the risk free? Do we see that maturity coming in the investor side in India? No, actually, it, it, it's a great point, uh, Sachin, and I think it is. I think it is because, uh, you know, it's also a function of recent events. Let's let's take an example. Let's look at fixed income as an asset class. Right? I mean, conventionally, the notion was that fixed income will give you capital protection, will give you some level of predictable returns. Right? Clearly, events over the last two and a half, three years have shattered that myth completely. And today, um, you know, clients are very cognizant about where in fixed income they're investing. And I think uh, it's an outcome of the events that we've seen in the recent past. So today, you know, we have instances where clients are actually clear about the fact that on the fixed income side of their portfolio, they will have a certain tolerance, um, you know, up to a certain rating, not beyond that. Um, interest rate risk, another uh, issue that, you know, people have seen in, in the fixed income space, right? Interest rate cycles are becoming much shorter as compared to what we've seen in the past. You know, having seen uh, a spate of, uh, you know, interest rate cuts and having seen, you know, this huge gush of liquidity, Today, when we talk to clients, they are worried about the fact that uh, what happens to our portfolios when, when you know, yields start going up, right, or when there are interest rate hikes. So I think, uh, you know, there is a certain amount of evolution that we've seen in investors as well. It may not have happened across the pyramid, but I think clearly from the top to the middle of the pyramid, we can see it happen. And it is good. I think it's 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 a very timely thing, uh, you know, whether it, are, you know, this pertains to events like what we saw uh, back in 2007, 2008, during the times of the global financial crisis, or whether it was going back to 2000, 2001, when the technology crash happened. I think people who have been scarred in instances uh, like these, today have still, they, they, they have retained those learnings. And in most instances today, uh, at least the segment of clients that we interact with, we see a lot of uh, focus on not just the returns, but also the risk part of the portfolio. Yeah, it does. Yeah, fantastic. So I, yeah, I understand and I agree with you because I remember that if you go back to the 2008, nine days, uh, the CEO of the largest mutual fund said that, you know, the Indian investors believe that the la the, the, the default risk is always with the AMC. Uh, but, you know, coming to 2018 19, uh, I think that has changed. Uh, this time the AMCs could not take that risk, at least the couple of them which have gone far. So I'm sure the investors have learned their lesson by now and that maturity is evolving. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. You know, uh, I'm so tempted to ask you a few more questions, but what I'm seeing is that the chat box is getting flooded with questions. Uh, so I'm going to hold my questions right now and I'm just going to go straight to the chat box. But before that, Sankalpo, uh, anything you have on your polls? Uh, um, I'm asking a couple of polls. So one interesting mm -hmm. poll that uh, I ran was, <clears throat> I'll just, I just took a photo. I'll just read it out. It, Yeah. yeah. So uh, my investment RM has been with me for, okay. So the options were less than a year, one to three year and three to five years uh, and five year plus. 
so apurva any cases where the bulk of the relationship vintage has been with uh, you know with the rm vintage has been no i i'll bite i think uh, it will probably be airing on the lower end of the spectrum yeah you're right it's one to three years is where the 44% of the respondents feel that uh, you know say that their relationship with their rm has been so so next time you ask the name of the bank it will change <laughs> that 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 will be of much interest i can assure yes. you <laughs> so we'll run that as the next poll so we'll take a few questions and i'm um, just typing out a couple of other polls also we'll keep them and we'll keep coming back to those in between apurva i must tell you that uh, these questions are not just interesting but they're actually detailed this is the first time i'm seeing such detailed questions coming to me so very pointed questions very focused very questions. very pointed and very detailed questions so that's why i'm just jettisoning some of my question i'm going straight there one of the questions says that uh, you know you earlier mentioned that wealth managers were with broking outfits and uh, only over the last few years uh, they've been carved out as a se- separate vertical this is a question from kashyap javeri he says how do we see the current setup being challenged when some brokers are again disrupting this with ai or machine learning no actually that's that's a great observation i think uh, we are seeing uh, the ai ml impact uh, coming in uh, but you know i think look at uh, the applicability of ai in ml um, today uh, i think within the equity asset class you know it has a fair bit of relevance which means that you know the application of ai ml will typically come in uh, you know in a specific category a specific asset class but as a wealth manager uh, aren't you required to have overview across all asset classes aren't you required to build uh, you mm. know long, strong resilient and uh, fairly fairly stable portfolios which means there will be instances for you to use applications like these but they may still be confined to a limited part of your client's portfolios today uh, you know we've seen the rise of alternate assets but uh, i don't think you know as a wealth manager we can afford to build a portfolio which comprises entirely of alternate assets i mean there will be a, an allocation to alternate assets but you know it could be 5 10 15 25% but the core of your portfolio will still comprise your regular equity and fixed income uh, options in most instances having said which i think uh, as wealth managers all of us need to be open to uh, you know instances like these and i see uh, you know now practically with a much higher level of frequency uh, established uh, long only fund houses coming to us with strategies which are uh, you know heavily dependent upon ai and ml uh, interventions so yeah i i think it, it's a great point but uh, to my mind it will still have at least for some time limited applicability interesting uh there was this question by abdul riaz which i am unable to find it right now but i got the gist of it and i'm just giving the gist of it uh is there a feedback monitoring or measurement mechanism which you have uh where you can monitor the feedback from clients on the advice which has been tendered to them as well as the rm's capability when he's tendering the advice do you have a feedback monitoring mechanism at your end. yes yes actually we do we do uh, we use nts very extensively to try and understand what the client experience of our wealth managers has been uh, of course we have uh, regular uh, you know um, uh, you know surveys which we do across uh, um, the board did one as recent as, uh, as um, i think third quarter of last year and we look through these uh, very minutely and uh, you know uh, the good part is that in some of these surveys we actually even ask clients to give qualitative feedback Okay. and that feedback gets channelized and of course i must confess i think some of that qualitative feedback is fairly pointed and some of that qualitative feedback kind of complements people who been who been fairly you know fairly uh, i think thorough in terms of the way they have been engaging with clients 
so i think it's 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 a it's a natural thing especially when you are uh, catering to clients who are very sensitive very large it's only imperative that you have you know these kind of feedback mechanisms in place but it's it's a great question and i think as uh, you know as a private bank we continue to to seek this feedback on a proactive basis from our clients superb that's amazing like to say feedback is the fuel for champions right so i think you're building a race of champion advisors amazing uh hasid jagat sheth asks a question here uh, what all should i look in before i decide my private banker this before somebody going to be my private banker yeah and i think that's 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 pretty universal in its nature no i think it's it's a great question especially coming from uh, uh, you know uh, somebody who's a seasoned investor i think uh, you know what's uh, relevant is a of course is the fact that you should see how it complements you you know uh, so let's say today uh, we come to an investor who has been kind of managing uh, you know her portfolio on on her own over a period of time you know there is a fair bit of uh, you know selection bias which tends to come in right you tend to kind of if a strategy has worked well for you you tend to kind of do that same line as a wealth manager can i come in and and complement that in some shape and form i think that's particularly important and if uh, you can bring in you know complementary uh, let's say interventions whether it is in the form of products whether it is in the form of a process i think that is something which you should look for of course needless to say uh, it's important for you to work with the right set of people so you know the organization itself the brand their focus the kind of investment that they've made in the people that uh, come in and eventually engage with you i think that makes a lot of difference so there is a qualitative part of it which clearly comes in through the you know uh, the kind of uh, uh, approach that they have and there is obviously a quantitative part of it which is you know you can look at uh, the kind of organization it is uh, you know basis their reach basis their network basis the people and basis of course the kind of financial stability that it has interesting uh, there are a couple of questions somebody has asked me on banks and capital raising and all of that ajay i'm sorry i'm going to be skipping that because this is really not relevant here uh narendra khad says a question to you is uh, you know the tenets of a good portfolio uh, how do you view uh, you know he's asking considering the current economic scenario in the country everybody thinks equity is an important one what is your recommendation to a client in terms of other asset classes especially foreign asset classes especially foreign equity this is an interesting one it is it is and uh, you know uh, as wealth managers we have been propagating the significance or the relevance of investing outside the country as well mm-hmm. uh, you know you are aware about what happened yesterday i think with the uh, you know with uh, sebi's decision to increase the limits on on uh, you know on uh, the at the mc level on feeder funds i think this is something which was in in the offing because of the fact that we are seeing a lot of interest from investors now to look at investing in Uh, offshore markets on the one hand of course rbi has allowed the liberalized remittance scheme where you know to let's say $250000 an individual a million dollars for a family of four can be remitted overseas for investments today as a bank uh, needless to say you know we are not capacitized to manage that particular requirement except for facilitating the remittance but thanks to the fact that a lot of amcs including our own have been able to bring in a lot of feeder funds which have uh, channelized you know their their flows which they've collected here in india into you know good quality resilient portfolios we have started seeing a lot of interest in uh, you know in, in this space and i think one way to evaluate this is the fact that the pandemic for instance has impacted every single economy right mm. but economies are on the mend they are on the bounce back and if this gives you the uh, the opportunity to kind of diversify your portfolio in the truest sense of the term invest in other economies where the level of correlation with the indian economy is low right where uh, there is opportunity for you to make returns as you know they kind of come back on track 
why not so i think uh, the opportunity for investing offshore is clearly coming to the fore um, you know of course one needs to be prudent because the bulk of your portfolio will be here in india because your consumption will be in india i think it's a question of how much of uh, at a portfolio level you would be comfortable allocating into an offshore market i mean that number could range for from maybe 5% to 25% but yes uh, we've started seeing a lot of interest in in that particular space interesting uh, a feedback which we've got from rahul chadda saying that this is yet another interesting webinar thank you so much rahul you've been one of our regular viewers uh, a question which rahul asked and i think it's a very pointed question and i'm going to take it in the spirit of you uh actually communicating there are a lot of perceptions which people have and i think the best way to dispel perceptions to candid communication one of the questions which keeps coming is that banks actually are only offering products that they want to push okay uh, banks normally push products uh, which which they want which they think are relevant for them in a way i think if i understand rahul's question to some extent you have you have uh, you have talked about your uh recommendation process the way you look at products but i just want you to dwell on this a little bit more because a lot of people still believe that uh, the products which they are offered by bankers you know in the long term may not be in their interest may not necessarily be true about your bank but general so i think at a fraternity level you'll be doing banks a favor by addressing this question see honestly i think you also have to look at it in the in the light of regulation today mm-hmm. as you're aware uh, you know most investment products uh, mutual funds pmss they've moved to a, an all trail model right mm. which means uh, the element of differentiation right uh, between offering product a vis a vis product b has has reduced to a large extent the other good thing is the fact that uh, expense ratios are now capped uh, you know by the, by the regulator so mm. i think uh, you know what may have happened in the past is not likely to transpire in the future and i think mm. uh, you will see a lot of judicious uh, selection by banks i can't speak for the rest of the industry but at least from our standpoint i can tell you that our research team does an amazing job in terms of identifying the right set of ideas which we can take to our clients and you know it's like i said earlier the process doesn't stop at you know uh, at the point of sale you know it kind of continues beyond and i think what's relevant now is for the investor to have the comfort that yes you know the banker is uh, somebody who's going to help me create you know a long term stable and resilient portfolio so it is not a one time sale you know quite clearly uh, you will uh, you know expect your bank and your banker your wealth manager especially like i said you know if somebody is very serious about this business and wants to over a period of time kind of make a career uh, you know in in wealth management you will be judicious about uh, how you deal with your clients so you know like i said i can't speak on behalf of uh, all the banks but i can tell you that i think our approach here is especially uh, discerning in terms of the way we identify the right set of ideas and we take them to our clients now thank you for answering the question uh, abulo because one of the things you mentioned earlier was feedback you get from clients on products and on uh, on rms i think that is a brilliant way to actually control any sort of quote unquote misselling which might be happening at the ground level if you get to hear from the client directly and on the rm i think that is the best thing uh, which a client can expect i personally i got a lot of comfort when i heard that uh and i think the second thing which uh, most people don't realize is that in this day and age of information explosion where you know even the smallest of investor can get onto twitter and start creating havoc uh banks are actually under pressure to make sure that overall level their brand is protected it is not just a product that they want to stake their entire reputation on 
So Rahul, I can probably tell you that uh, when Apurva started talking about the evolution of distributors over the last 20 years, this is one thing which has really evolved. I very much doubt whether banks would uh, would probably uh, you know uh, indulge in such practices even today. There could be a few bad fish here and there, but that is there in every business. You really can't help it. But thanks for the question, Rahul. I think it really helped us uh, clear the air in a big way. Uh, Narendra Khadse actually asks a question which is about advisory in general, wealth management in general, which is the best methodology, a fee paid by the client or a commission uh, paid indirectly by the client in terms of getting advisory? See, I think it's it's a function of the client's preferences. Uh, today, as a bank, we have a distribution uh, uh, orientation. Regulatorily, that's the model that we have chosen to follow. But today, uh, let's say, you know, our, our brokerage platform, for instance, will offer advisory services for clients who are willing to pay a fee. I think the cost of managing or the cost of building a portfolio is something which is becoming more and more critical, especially as the portfolio sizes increase. So I think there will be a tipping point at which point you may have to take that call in terms of whether you want to work uh, with a distributor or with an advisor. What is the tipping point for me will be very different as a tipping point for you, Vikas. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, I think you know the answer lies within. So rather than kind of uh, advocate a particular model, I think it's more a function of at what stage would you want to kind of, uh, you know, evolve or rather, you know, flip the model and uh, move to either side. Uh, I'll take this last question, uh, which is, a, it's a fairly obvious question. It's a yes or no type of question. Uh, Abhimanyu asked this question in terms of the fact that SEBI regulations and para banking guidelines, uh, will they impact your ability to give advice? Your view. Like I said, we are already, I did mention that we are a distributor. So at yeah. the end of the day, you know, for us, uh, uh, advisory is something which we, through the bank, can as it is not offer. Uh, but, you know, I think there is enough that we can do on the distribution platform itself. Uh, in fact, we are among the largest mutual fund distributors in the country, next only to two other banks. And, uh, you know, we continue to build on our assets and the management. See, the good part is, as you build, as you, you know, like I said, the top four banks, at 17,000 branches, right? We are reaching out to clients across locations where uh, they probably did not have access to investment ideas like these before, or through the delivery, delivery mechanisms that we are using, uh, you know, which they did not have access to before. So today, even through the distribution model, we've built, I think, a formidable amount of assets mm-hmm. and a very, very strong client connect. Uh, and that's a model that we've chosen. So, so be it. I think, uh, you know, the impact is already there, but then I think in spite of which, we continue to build on this particular business. Apuro, one thing which I'm getting in the chat across the board, which your bank might want to consider is a lot of people are asking about cryptocurrency. I think Sachin alluded to that. Mm-hmm. So at some stage, I think, uh, you know, you may want to do some webinars or some educational series in terms of cryptocurrency. A lot of questions are coming on cryptocurrency. Sure. Like I said, because never say never. Um, yeah. You know, it is something which, you know, is, is writing on the world. We will have to look at evolving and, and look at, uh, you know, addressing uh, that particular need for our clients. But uh, I think let's let's wait for, for some kind of, let's say, method behind the madness to emerge. Yes, yes, yes. I think that is true. Uh, so I think I'm done in terms of the questions. And Apurva, I think uh, if it is okay with you, the question which really got me interested was the question on feedback. So okay. I think that was... That was something which answered a lot of the questions which were coming in later. Yes. So I think Mr. Abdul Riaz, if it's okay with you, uh, should we give him the prize in terms of uh, the best oh, question of the day? Absolutely. Yeah. By far, I think uh, that uh, to my mind was uh, the pick of all the questions which we saw today. Thank you so much. Abdul Riaz, uh, you could uh, get in touch with us or PMS AIF world, do write in and uh, congratulations.
Congratulations, Atul. Yeah. So I'll just uh, discuss this one poll that I, uh, you know, asked while uh, this question and answers were on. So I asked for investment needs. Uh, you know, what do people on the show today want to associate most with? Okay, forty-seven percent said boutique family offices and independent advisors. Thirty-one uh, percent said domestic bank uh, or domestic wealth management companies. Uh, you know, uh, open platforms like PMSAIF World was a twenty-one percent, and surprisingly, none of the people today feel that they should, you know, uh, bank. Uh, you know, they have the relationship with foreign bank, investment banks or foreign banks. So, you know, I, that is not my, uh, you know, uh, opinion with a caveat. So that's something, uh, you know, I will like to thank the audience and thank Apurva and Vikas and Sachin, all of you. So, uh, you know, before we end the show, I will like take a couple of minutes talking about us, about PMSF world, if that's okay. So, sure. you know, we've been doing this series uh, and a couple of other series also, which are more educational in nature. We also, you know, work as a wealth manager and we advise a lot of families now on, uh, you know, alternates in the country. We've been growing and uh, we request you to uh, come reach to us. You can book a call with us. You can know more about uh, these, uh, you know, investment strategies. Uh, do follow and subscribe our YouTube channel where you can, you know, hear all the other uh, Alpha Mevins episodes too. We've had some great guests. And thank you, Apurva, uh, for being with us. Thank you, Mr. Uh, thank you to the audience for uh, being with us and asking questions. Congratulations, Mr. Abdul. Thank you, Vikas. Thank you, Sachin. Uh, we hope to see you all very soon. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. It's been a Thanks pleasure. Everyone. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah.